Hey guys, welcome back to the show and thank you so much for tuning in if it's your first time here. Hey, my name is Lauren and my usual co-host, the lovely Liam, he's actually not here today because he is hunting up north with a traditional native storyteller. Completely serious. Uh, I hope he brings back some deer and stories to share with us next week. Uh, but joining me today is the lovely Marie Oaks, who is the senior editor at the Westphalian Times. Marie, thank you for joining us. Hi, thank you for having me, Lauren. Yeah, no problem. So some people might already be familiar with you from we did a post debate live stream a few weeks ago. And if they're not Westphalian Times, you guys cover news in US, Canada, and kind of worldwide. You've been keeping up with a lot of the stories covering the election and we're actually going to be starting the show talking about all of the craziness surrounding that. We're also going to be going over some COVID craziness. Uh, we are going into another lockdown. At least several different locations are, despite the fact that not one but two different vaccines have been announced. Uh, then we're going to be discussing some feminist stereotypes that the people at Bitch Media felt the need to, I guess, complain about. I don't know. As we were discussing before the show, their videos, not the most coherent things. And then we're going to be discussing picking up ladies with marks those uh those male feminists the gift that keeps on giving in terms of content all right so for people who aren't familiar with you you're kind of like me you have background in the u.s and you canada you're a dual citizen right yeah yeah and so what i find so interesting having lived in both countries and actually different countries countries as well is that for some reason and it confuses me election security is a partisan issue in the united states it is completely not in other countries, though. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a partisan issue before, but everything when it comes to Trump, everything will change. That's true. Yeah. And so right now, um, there are still several lawsuits going on, um, some of them involving Trump, but not all of them. I've heard people say that Trump keeps losing his lawsuits. There are actually other people who are filing lawsuits alleging different types of like uh, election impropriety that are not related to Trump. But uh, we have this narrative right now that anyone who questions the results of the election is called a conspiracy theorist because, oh, how, how, how could you even employ that the system isn't infallible, even though for the past four years, the left has been doing exactly that with Russiagate. But there's this whole new scandal right now over Dominion voting system. So this is a electronic uh, ballot software that it's been reported has actually in several counties, districts, switched votes that were meant for Trump to Biden. And it's this whole controversy because it's actually not only, you know, a, an election software that might be prone to tampering, but it's also Canadian, a foreign software. So we have this post here that I thought was interesting. It's from the official Elections Canada account. They put out a post saying, Elections Canada does not use Dominion voting systems. We use paper ballots counted by hand in front of scrutineers and have never used voting machines or electronic tabulators to count votes in our 100-year history. A lot of people kind of saw that as a slight against the American system. What do you think? Is this Canada being sassy again? This is Canada taking any chance it can get to say, hey, up north, we're better than you guys down south. Yeah, for sure. And do, do you think that people are right to worry about you know, things like Dominion software? Or is this just, you know, I've heard people just say, oh, it's conspiracy theorists. It's just sore losers who wanted Trump to win. I mean, it's interesting because, you know, the left right now is saying, oh, why are you making up these conspiracy theories? But recently it has come out that Elizabeth Warren, along with, I think it was Amy Klobuchar, 
put out, I think it was a statement in 2016. I'm not sure about that. So someone please fact check me there. But saying that they believe there could be some issues with these type of voting systems. So it's pretty interesting that they're going back on their word and now nope it's perfectly fine there's nothing to worry about here right especially like i mean we had essentially four years of russiagate of people claiming that the election had been compromised by like foreign assets and stuff like that but now all of a sudden because they like the results we are saying that that's not possible and we actually had investigations into the 2016 election so these people acting like these lawsuits are you know unheard of and this big departure from like democratic norms that's that's just not true and it really boggles my mind how people keep saying it. But uh, we actually have a piece that you put out, uh, Westphalian Times. One of the things that really bothers me about American politics is how not only are like non-issues politicized, like election security, but they're also politicized in a way where everything is racist. Like it always must be racist. So why don't you why don't you tell us about what the uh, Michigan Attorney General recently told Trump? So in a press conference, she said, "quote." Really, the themes that we see that persist are this. Black people are corrupt, Black people are incompetent, and Black people can't be trusted. That's the narrative that is continually espoused by the Trump campaign and their allies in these lawsuits. Basically, what she's saying is that Trump is a racist for wanting an election integrity and for filing these lawsuits. It's pretty ludicrous, but I do not expect any less. Calling him racist for the force first, like four years, that didn't really convince people. But now if they say it, it's, you know, it's definitely going to change people's minds. She's also trying to tie in the lawsuits with what people have thought for the last four years. And it's pretty outlandish to yeah. make such a cognitive dissonant. And it's it kind of it confuses me because there is this push right now for people to frame these investigations and these audits and these recounts into a way uh, like a method of discounting minority voters because people have pointed out that a lot of the places where these investigations are happening or where there's scrutiny over the vote counts um, are places with a higher number of either like black or minority citizens. But I, I would think that if, if I were a citizen and, you know, in, in my precinct, there was questions over the integrity of the ballot that actually compromises my vote. Like, I would want someone to look into it to make sure that, you know, my vote was counted and given the proper amount of weight instead of just kind of taking it as a, as a matter of good faith. Maybe I'm seeing things the, the wrong way, but I kind of see it as protecting the votes of these people rather than trying to disenfranchise them. I remember right before the election, there were so many headlines about mail-in voting. And a lot of, like, my left-leaning friends and America, they were telling me, you know, I don't feel comfortable sending my ballot through the mail. And even like people on that side of the aisle were even kind of concerned with the mail-in voting and how it's being uh, used. So a lot of them opted to just bring their ballots in person instead of, you know, trusting USPS to do it for them. Right. And I, I don't think of them as a conspiracy theorist for doing that. Not at all. Um, so obviously right now the media has kind of called the election for Biden. As I mentioned before, we're still seeing a lot of these lawsuits coming in and, uh, you know, places like Newsmax are refusing to to call it either way. Um, but I think regardless of what does happen right now, the media meltdown that we are seeing 
is is delicious. It's it's brought me a lot of joy. How about you? Did you see the video of Pence and everyone freaking out at him? Yes, yes, I did. Okay, so for those of you who haven't seen it, here is a clip that's gone pretty viral of Pence leaving. I think it was, you know, just a a White House briefing meeting with the press and they were not having it. Check it out. So is this like the best journalism ever? What are your thoughts? This is not journalism. <laughs> what? How could you don't think this is journalism? Explain yourself. I mean, they're just yelling. They're shrieking as he's leaving the room. It just seems like it's more performative journalism than actually trying to reach truth. Mm hmm. And I think that's pretty representative of the type of quote reporting we've seen from a lot of outlets for the past four years. Um, you know, for example, a lot of these people who are brushing aside the allegations of voter fraud and things like that, I, I don't think that they're doing a good enough job, even if the allegations are false, of explaining the allegations to most of the audience out there. Um, because, you know, I've spoken with people who think that this is just Trump trying to hang on to power, and I've brought up things like, okay, well, what about the the people who are going on record and talking about backdating ballots that were sent in, or what about, you know, the issues with the Dominion software and things like that. There are actually several places where, you know, after an audit has been done, enough votes have been changed to Republicans where election outcomes, you know, locally as well, have been flipped. I've tried talking about this with people. A lot of the times they don't know what I'm talking about, even if they do watch mainstream media, because mainstream media just doesn't mention it. Um, so do you think, I don't know, I've heard this conspiracy theory, and this actually is one, that the media is secretly hoping Trump will win because he's been like a cash cow for them in terms of content. Well, yeah, I don't know how they're gonna hold their head over water if Trump goes out, because prior to Trump being in, there was really like not many interesting stories. They loved Obama, he got the best coverage ever. And under Biden, I remember seeing news articles prior to Trump ever coming in being like, oh, Biden, look at him, he's so cute while he eats his ice cream. And we saw that during the election as well. Yeah. Hey, Biden, what flavor are you eating? So. I don't think it's going to be very interesting for the media or the viewer. Yeah. And I mean, we, we see, though, that even though a lot of people are predicting Trump is on his way out, that's not stopping them from, I guess, like making this whole scandal a last hurrah. We have this from The Hill. They posted video of it says, just in at Reagan Airport, Michigan State Senator Majority Leader Mike Shirky swarmed by media activists yelling, certify the results as he heads to meet Trump. Here's that clip if you guys want to see some more definitely sane, level-headed people. What did Trump promise you? What did Trump promise you? Where's the fraud? Where's the evidence of fraud? Where's the evidence of fraud? Where is the evidence of fraud? Tom Barry. Certify the results. Congressman Barry. Certify the results. Meeting. Certify the results. It's kind of weird seeing this happen in the United States because I, I studied poli-sci when I was an undergrad. You guys can make fun of me all you want, but this is the kind of thing you read about happening in like 
new democracies and banana republics. So the fact that there's all of this contention, I mean, we even had people who were, you know, Republicans in, in Michigan being threatened for refusing to certify the the vote there. And actually it's it's come out that, you know, they, they refused at first, then they were threatened, then they, they pledged to certify. Now they've kind of uh, gone back on that saying it was under duress. And it's like, this, this doesn't seem like America. Well, it's just, it's not going to be sustainable for our a democracy or a republic to live under these constrained, you know, conditions of, you know, you can't really do your job as a journalist because you'll be, you know, shunned away from, by your activist journalist friends. So it's going to be an interesting time, especially if Biden comes in. Is it going to change? Probably not. And if Trump stays on, Oh, boy. Yeah. I know. I saw all of these people going up to the election saying it's going to be great when Biden wins. We can have like a return to normalcy, even with these people believing that Biden has like definitively won. I haven't really seen that. I've seen people talk about like deprogramming 75 million Trump voters. I've seen people talk about, uh, you know, like essentially gulags and like making lists of everyone who ever supported Trump. So I don't know if we're po it's possible to return to normal at this point. But, you know, I, I do like the distinction between activists and journalists because, you know, there there is a difference. I'm someone who I'm very upfront with my opinions and I have my own bias. I definitely consider myself more on the like pundit side than just a straight up journalist. And, you know, that's a distinction that I think matters. I'm not saying one is better than the other, but I think more more and more, quote, journalists, they really want to be activists. And Kaylee McEnany, I love her. Uh, she recently kind of called out these activists posing as journalists at a press conference. Check it out. Thank you, everyone, for the very good and substantive questions today. I don't call an activist. Well, it's just like the White House to not really do the typical White House thing. And she's just blowing it out of the ballpark. With I, I mean, it's very her. popular what she does. Oh, for sure. No, I love her. And I've seen so many, um, you know, journalists, people in the mainstream media complain that she's kind of contributing to this lack of decorum surrounding the Trump administration. It's like, look at you. You guys are yelling at them like. Are you not going to take responsibility for your role in this super toxic dynamic that exists? Ugh. Now, before we go any further, I do want to tell you all about our awesome sponsor, the book Not Free America. Everyone, it is one of the most interesting books I have come across in quite a while. It is written by Mike Donovan, someone who has fought tyranny for years as the founder of the nation's largest pro bono civil rights law firm. And as Donovan puts it in his new book, again, that's Not Free America, the Bill of Rights has been under attack in the U.S. long before COVID ever came around. If you refuse to surrender your liberty to any earthly power, you need this book. Not Free America solves the issue of citizens being used by the government. So the cool thing about this is that it is not just a book, but it's also a solution. It tells you what you can do better. So visit notfreeamerica.com to take the Liberty Pledge and order your copy today to find out how to stop the overreaching abuse of government and what actions you can take right now. We must work together and do better to fix the ever-compounding liberty crisis in America. So if we can all unite around the concept of liberty, we can create lasting greatness. And remember, the most significant changes usually come from crisis, perhaps like the one we are in right now. So do your part and visit notfreeamerica.com today. That is notfreeamerica.com to order your copy today. All right, so now let's move on to COVID. So if you guys follow the news, you'll probably be aware that Pfizer, I think it is, announced that they have a vaccine. And now there's also been a second vaccine announced, uh, both of them. 
I think have around 95% success rates. And there's being discussions about how quickly they'll be able to be disseminated among the general population. So, you know, hearing that a lot of people may think, finally, even if maybe I don't want to take the vaccine, at least we will be able to kind of go about our lives the way we used to before, you know, this whole thing happened. Not so fast, though. Uh, Dr. Fauci, who's kind of been, I don't know, the COVID czar for a lot of people, he recently went on record saying that even with the vaccine, it might still be a while before we can get back to life before COVID, meaning that don't expect things to just overnight go back to the way it used to be. And this is kind of worrying for a lot of people, myself included, because at least we're, you know, Marie and I are living, we're kind of, we're still in our second lockdown. And I think the premier recently said that this, things might stay like this until like January, until 2021. We see in in California and I think Michigan, people are being told not to join their families for Thanksgiving. Uh, I've seen some sheriff's offices saying they refuse to uh, exercise that order. But we recently also had this, uh, this post by the, what is it, Australian, like Southern Australian police. I'm sorry, Australian friends. I don't know much about the the geography of Australia, but someone actually asked if you were allowed, like, what were the restrictions surround walking dogs? And here it is. The South Australia police responded saying, hi, Andrea, you cannot leave the house to walk the dog or to exercise. COVID, BTFO, Marie, what do you think? Well, what's interesting is they actually reversed this lockdown almost a day after they implemented it because one person lied to a contact tracer about working in a pizza uh, restaurant instead of just going there once. So they thought, oh my God, this pizza place is a super spreader. So now they're loosening the restrictions and it's like, This is crazy if one instance can put your whole place into such a draconian lockdown where you can't even walk your dog. I live in an apartment. I don't know what I would do if I couldn't walk my dog. Would it just be like going to the bathroom inside? Yeah. And I mean, I think these people who are implementing these measures, they really don't care. And I know there's going to be people like, oh, so you want grandmas to die? No, and there's actually, there have been studies done that show that, like, the transmission rate of COVID outside when you're not around people really closely, it's very, very low. So not being able to even walk the dog or exercise outside, like, go for a run, it seems like this isn't really backed by science as a method of containing COVID. It honestly just seems more about control to me. And the uh, South Australia uh, I think it's just government in general. They released this infographic, and again, this is from Westphalian Times. Thank you, Marie, uh, about what people are or are not allowed to leave the house for. So the only reasons you're allowed to leave the house, at least when this lockdown was implemented, were to go to work as an emergency service worker for agricultural work, to receive medical care, medical supplies, uh, one person from the household once a day to go get groceries and things like that, organized end-of-life visits, or in an emergency situation. I mean, this is this is draconian. Like, this is unbelievable. Do you think it would be ever possible to see something like that in the U.S. or Canada? I don't think it could happen in the U.S. because these lockdowns do not make people want to listen to the government. When the government is giving them such extensive rules, it just makes people not want to even do the basic rules of just social distancing. So I don't think they're going to work. And I think they're going to have like the opposite effect that is the unintended effect that these governments are going to put onto their populations. 
Right. And I think what makes all of this so much more infuriating is the fact that we've seen quite a bit of hypocrisy from government officials surrounding all of these mandates. I mean, we've seen Nancy Pelosi, most recently at Gavin Newsom, uh, Cuomo, people who are like the most staunch supporters of just stay in your house for the next five years until we cure all human illness. They're not really living by the same measures that they're expecting everybody else to. So I'm hoping that more and more people start to realize that this this isn't just about the virus. And I've been impressed. I've seen on social media footage from Germany and Denmark and, you know, just in general places I wouldn't really think of like, oh, you guys, you love freedom. They've actually been protesting these lockdowns. Same in Canada. Um, I think a lot of people aren't aware of these protests because the media doesn't spread it because I think they they want people who are feeling frustrated and upset to think that they are alone in these feelings. That way there's not this mass uh, movement pushing back on these measures. Yeah, and there's just such a rise of cooperation between media and government. We see it with the election, but we're also seeing it with COVID because you know government transparency on COVID is abysmal and the media isn't pushing on them. Because even with my own reporting, in September when I was looking at PCR testing, it was so hard to get a hold of government officials who would be transparent on, you know, the PCR uh, cycle threshold they were using. And they for, wanted to know where I was don't from. know what PCR is, would you mind just giving a, a quick breakdown of what, what it is and why it's important? So the PCR test is like the, you know, gold standard by what epidemiologists say for, you know, testing to do testing for COVID, you know, the thing sticking up your nose. And then, so the PCR cycling, you put it, you put the sample in a little test tube and you spin it and how many times you spin it, it breaks up the genes. It's very uh, extensive to explain very shortly, <laughs> but I have it all in my article. Um, so you can link people to there, but it's basically just how we're doing COVID testing currently and based on the cycle threshold will tell you how much of a bacterial uh, load you have. And it's just the government transparency on these things is really bad. And people are trying really hard to learn more about, you know, how do you even know we have COVID? And then the transparency goes to how are these policies making being made? Because like, how do you know, that you know the restaurant is a super spreader versus school versus this and they're just being like oh we're not going to tell you anything good luck just believe us but we're not going to tell you why we're doing anything and i think the media is helping you know the governments get away with not telling the citizens this really important information and the information they are giving like you said is all over the place and it's confusing for most people right and that's it's kind of scary because if there's ever a time for investigative reporting, you would think it would be surrounding something like COVID where governments are using it as an excuse or as justification to enact really big changes in people's lives. And I'm not just talking about things that are temporary. In Canada, we've seen like Justin, the Trudeau government use COVID as an excuse to do things like pass gun control legislation, which doesn't really make sense. And, you know, this is exactly the thing the media should be challenging them on. Like, okay, how does this relate to COVID? Or like, are these lockdowns really effective in preventing the spread of COVID, but we haven't really seen anything like that from them. Um, like I, This is another thing, like election security, it seems it's become politicized to wonder, hey, should the government have the right to tell me I can't open my business for literally months on end? Um, and actually, 
talking about that. We're now seeing all of these different studies that explain that these COVID lockdowns, you know, we've heard a lot of celebrities saying, oh, this is just you would you want to kill grandmothers so you can get a haircut. Not the case. Um, even the WHO has come out now and kind of reversed its position, initially supporting COVID lockdowns, um, now saying that they actually are extremely detrimental to lower income people because it is actually their livelihoods and their savings and, you know, their living situations that are the most precarious. And um, one of your colleagues at the Westphalian Times did a really, really good article about this. He wrote, the lockdowns in Europe and similar conclusions would be reached for North America have disproportionately affected lower income households. Over 40% of employees in lockdown sectors were from the lower income quintile. Barely 15% of the top income quintile were employed in lockdown sectors. It also says students from high income households achieved uh, higher academic performance following the closures of the schools in March. Students from low and middle income households experienced a drop in academic performance. That might be, you know, uh, due to the fact that they don't have all the same resources at home in terms of like internet, online learning and things like that, that they would be able to have at school if they were able to go. It also says just a few weeks ago, we learned that the aggregate wealth of billionaires increased by more than 25% over the pandemic, now totaling 10.2 trillion. So like, I'm not someone, if you've seen the show, who um, thinks that wealth inequality is the be all end all. I'm much more concerned with like raw levels of poverty and overall standards of living and things like that. But I think it is interesting to note that the people who claim to be, you know, against the billionaire ruling class often are the ones who are supporting these lockdowns, which incidentally are just making the rich people richer, meanwhile, like taking a huge toll on the working class. Yeah, well, like a really important point from that article was really about the academic performance, because with the people who are in the lower income bracket, it's definitely much harder on them right now to really see through this pandemic, plus going to school and then losing their job or having longer hours. Because I know in grocery stores right now, people are, and throughout the pandemic, people have been, you know, having to do so many more hours than usual. And, you know, this just is going to drive further and further, you know, I believe in the next, for the next 10 years, these COVID lockdowns and their economic impact are going to be felt on the lowest end of like the lowest poverty end of our populations. And this is not going to be great for our balance in books. No, it's and it's really sad because a lot of people, they act as if, you know, the economy is like a light switch you can turn on and off. And I don't think they understand that, you know, when they talk about 60% of businesses being on the brink of closure, that's not something that those business owners are just going to be like, oh, well, now you've said we can open up. Therefore, you know, all those months where we were behind on the mortgage and all that, it'll just go away. That's, that's not how that works. And I, I think, like you said, these are like this is going to be felt for a long long time and actually there was someone who put up a, a really i think insightful post on social media i've checked out some of these numbers from what i can tell this is correct information um you know definitely tell us if if you see something that says otherwise but dan price he said amazon profit up 100 percent walmart profit up 80 percent target profit up 80 percent uh, you know microsoft facebook apple google stock at record high small businesses on the other hand 21 percent closed revenue for rest down 30 percent it also says wealth increased in the pandemic for founders or CEOs of Amazon, 91 billion, Walmart, 38 billion, Google, 37 billion, and the list goes on. Small businesses collectively lost over 200 billion. Um, if you're against like the ruling class and the, the elites, lockdowns 
are not your friend. And, you know, my, my mom and I, like, we, we run a small business that we're trying to start up. And it, it has been almost impossible in the realm of COVID to kind of get started because you don't have the existing infrastructure and customer base that these, you know, bigger companies do. You're not able to manage your own supply chain like places, uh, you know, like Walmart and Amazon do. And it's just it's kind of frustrating how no one seems to talk about this problem in the media it's all about killing and, grandmas. Yeah, and you guys don't, like smaller businesses don't have access to cheap capital. Right. Amazon, Apple, they all have access to cheap capital. And that's the most important part for most of these businesses that are closed. If they don't have the capital to keep themselves open, they're done. They're one season to be, you know, shut down. Now, next up, I want to tell you all about an awesome product that is especially useful in these crazy uncertain times, and that is the Taser. If protecting your family is your number one priority, but you want to do it safely, then the people at Taser are here for you. They believe that safer self-defense is better self-defense. So Taser's line of non-lethal self-protection devices are small and lightweight enough to carry with you or in your glove compartment or purse, yet they are powerful enough still to incapacitate an attacker. They use an electrical charge to immobilize attackers for up to 30 seconds, allowing you time to get away and send emergency dispatch to your GPS location, which is a really cool feature. Taser devices come loaded with features like laser-assisted targeting and emergency dispatch, which will send response teams right to you. More than 237,000 lives have been saved with the Taser network of devices, apps, and personnel, and Taser is also the number one choice of law enforcement agencies. So protect yourself and your family with Taser's line of smart self-defense products. I know guns aren't necessarily for everybody, but if you're not a gun person and would still like to have some sort of protection, Taser could be exactly what you're looking for. So Taser is available without a permit in most U.S. states. Get the Taser Pulse Plus or Taser Strike Light at taser.com with the promo code Lauren. Save 15% now at taser.com with the promo code Lauren, spelled T-A-S-E-R.com. Again, the promo code Lauren. Restrictions may apply. See the site for details. All right, so now for something a little bit more fun, we're going to be talking about feminist stereotypes. So some of you may be familiar, and you probably are, with Anita Sarkeesian. She became infamous for her, I guess, tropes in games series, where she exposed all of these different, quote, tropes, usually involving females that she thought were sexist in, you know, mainstream gaming entertainment. So I don't think, to the best of my knowledge, and I should know this because I do, I am subscribed to her channel, I don't think she makes those videos anymore. But now we have a new outlet, Bitch Media. Well, they're not new, but this series is new. They've seemingly taken up the mantle of dissecting or complaining about different feminist stereotypes or stereotypes that are anti-feminist. I don't even know what to call it in media. And so we have uh, we have some clips here from their first videos that I thought it would be fun for us to check out. Uh, let's start with their episode on, uh, gosh, what is it? I think it is the straw feminist or the straw man feminist straw man feminist. In 2001, Cartoon Network aired Equal Fights, an episode of the popular children's show The Powerpuff Girls featuring a female villain named Femme Fatale. When the bank teller begins filling empty bags with $100 bills, Femme Fatale points a gun at his head. Men can't do anything right. Who is this? Who is this? It's Ben Franklin, you idiot. A man! I 
want Susan B. Anthony coins. No! I don't remember that Powerpuff Girls episode, do you? Because that seems like I would have remembered no. that. No, but it's so comical. I mean, it's pretty great. It's pretty spot on for if you want to make a caricature of a modern feminist. Yeah, but they, they would never be allowed to make a cartoon with that kind of caricature nowadays. They would be, can you imagine? No, They're I can't imagine. It'd be canceled. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, essentially, it seems like this trope that they have a problem with is like the angry feminist who complains about everything, which I think is somewhat ironic because by making this video, some would argue complaining about the Powerpuff Girls, they they are somewhat living up to that exact standard. Um, but we, uh, we have some more from that clip. Some popular examples of the straw feminist trope used for comedic relief include Maude from The Big Lebowski, who is characterized as a sex-positive feminist artist. My art has been commended as being strongly vaginal, which bothers some men. The word itself makes some men uncomfortable. Vagina. So I love how they present that like artists as this like ridiculous trope and I you know in, later on in the video it does go on to explain like these things are harmful because they they minimize the serious issues of feminists and you know they, they try to make it into a big joke but I like I have some articles that bitch media themselves uh, have published. Okay, one of them, yes, getting a therapist of color can make a world of difference. People of color may not have access to certain types of power, but we can learn how to redefine power to serve us. If that's not just feminist mumbo jumbo, I don't know what is. We also have the white self is built on this myth of morality and goodness surrounded by heathens and disease-ridden savages. And that is from the article, Ruby Hamad nails the sneaky racism of white feminists. Like it's, it's kind of, as one of the outlets that I think most fully embodies the feminist caricature, I just find it kind of ironic how they is, they, they're accusing, you know, these these TV shows of not having strong enough representations of feminism. And it's like, well, maybe your movement itself is not a very strong representation of feminism. And uh, case in point, we have a post here from Anita Sarkeesian that kind of blew up everywhere online. She included a scream grab from the Disney show, The Mandalorian, saying, Lady Mandalorians have boob armor. Oh, come on, seriously. So what's interesting about this in particular is that, I mean, Anita Sarkeesian and her Feminist Frequency podcast during The Mandalorian's first season, they actually complained that there weren't enough female characters, even though there were several strong female characters. And now in season two, here she is complaining about boob armor, essentially, um, which a lot of people did point out when she posted this just makes sense if you have boobs that the armor wouldn't be flat because your body is not flat. And I don't know, I maybe I'm just too jaded. I've been around like feminist media so much where it's like, I fully, there's no, there's nothing that I won't believe would come from a feminist in terms of ridiculousness. A lot of it from bitch media itself. So I just don't take this, uh, you know, this complaining about fem feminist straw men's very seriously. But they also released another episode talking about um, like the whole like badass little girl trope and how that's also bad for reasons. In the 2010 movie Kick-Ass, Chloe Grace Moretz plays the character Minnie McCready, a 12-year-old girl who goes by the alter ego Hit Girl. In one of the more memorable scenes from the film, the tween vigilante successfully tricks four armed men into doing her bidding. She's the prime example of the Little Miss Badass trope. Little Miss Badasses are young female characters who more often than not have not yet entered adolescence. These fictional girls are typically younger than the characters around them and significantly smaller in size and stature, making them easy to underestimate. 
However, they're skilled in combat and can easily overpower any grown man or woman who crosses them. So I was actually surprised that they chose this character or this trope to make a a video on because I would have thought that this would be one of the tropes that feminists actually do like because it's kind of like girl power. Um, And I know actually like Liam and I, we really don't like this trope, especially when it has like 80 pound girls kicking the butts of like 200 pound men because it's just not realistic. But I don't know. Why why do you think they don't like this? Because I'm confused. I'm confused. Well, I thought that would be like a good thing is like to show, you know, young women that like they have power. It kind of reminds me of the uh, New York statue in front of the famous bull in Wall Street. Oh, yeah. has the girl standing up. That's what it reminds me of. So I don't understand why they're taking issue or even if they're taking issue because they are so unclear as to what they're upset about. Yeah, and it's just like, but that's just so like them, isn't it? Like, here, here's a thing, and it's like, I feel like you are complaining because this is not a very positive video, but I'm not quite sure what the problem is because it seems like everything is fine to me. But this this type of, like, media criticism, like, and I'm not saying that they can't criticize things that they don't like, but for a lot of this stuff, it just seems like a case of you're looking to be upset about something which is kind of kind of confusing especially if we look at shows that you know back in the day were heralded as like being really like feminist and things like that a lot of the time you know in in 10 15 years it's like the activist movement have turned their backs on it because the the standard of what is woke or not woke is no longer good enough. Uh, one thing that comes to mind is the show Friends. I remember, you know, watching it in, in the 90s, I did notice that, oh, this was one of the shows where it's like, you know, there are gay characters, um, you know, one of the characters' dads is also trans and things like that. I was like, oh, this is like modern, this is representation, but now people kind of comment on how a racially non-diverse friends is and also how how many jokes there are at the expense of those characters so it's like all right well i guess you can't please these people i think there's no winning i think that's basically what it comes down to and now i have the pleasure of telling you all about our amazing sponsor bambi so when running a business hr issues can kill you wrongful termination suits minimum wage requirements labor regulations the list goes on and hr manager salaries aren't cheap they can average about seventy thousand dollars per year but bambi spelled b-a-m-b-e-e was created specifically for small business you can get a dedicated hr manager and craft hr policy maintained your compliance and more, all for just starting at $99 per month. With Bambi, you can change HR from your biggest liability to your biggest strength. Your dedicated HR manager is available by phone, email, or real-time chat, and from onboarding to terminations, they customize your policy to fit your business and help you manage your employees day-to-day, again, all starting at just $99 per month. Month-to-month, there's no hidden fees, and you can cancel at any time. You didn't start your business because you wanted to spend more time on HR compliance, so let Bambi help you get your free HR audit today. So go to Bambi.com slash Chen right now to schedule your free HR audit. Again, that's Bambi dot com slash chen spelled b-a-m-b-e-e dot com slash chen so they know that our show is the one that sent you so speaking of feminists though let's talk about male feminists um you showed me this tweet online uh, that had an excerpt of one of obama's books and honestly i wish that you hadn't because i'm so much more uncomfortable having read it but do you want to share it with us so obama writes in his new book Looking back, it's embarrassing to recognize the degree to which my intellectual curiosity those first two years of college paralleled 
the inter interest of various women I was attempting to get to know. So he's basically talking about how he started reading Marx and all of these more postmodernist writers and these co communist writers to please women and try to sleep with, you know, his leftist college mates at University of Chicago, I would assume. Yeah. And it's basically kind of hilarious because when, you know, people like us bring up, oh, men are fake feminists in the way of, they just want to do it to sleep with you. People are like, no, 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 that's not real. That can't happen. Oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. Yeah. But I mean, even Obama did it. Yeah, they're admitting like this isn't news. The only thing that's noteworthy is that they admit to it. And I love how he he kind of finishes off this like little paragraph by saying, as a strategy for picking up girls, my pseudo intellectualism proved mostly worthless. I found myself in a series of affectionate but chaste friendships like, oh, that's like, so like it wasn't even effective, which I think a lot of the times this like, you know, trying to be the progressive male ally isn't really effective no yeah a lot of times like you know male feminists just never get the girl and the girl ends up going with the more manly man who stands up for himself or whatever you deem is to be the manly man yeah and it's funny because it seems like no matter how much like woke culture tries to push like the the beta feminist ally as like the you know the good guy that you're supposed to want to date like when it comes down to it if there's like you know a burly or assertive or like like you said whatever your vision of like someone who is like kind of dominant and manly a lot of the times like that is just more that's more attractive like I don't I don't know what to say and that's why you know the whole concept of trying to chip away at masculinity I think a lot of feminists may in a short-sighted way not realize how this also affects women but you know a lot of women do want like stronger competent capable partners and if you completely like neuter the entire other gender that we depend on we we can't really have that as women um okay so in the same vein men addresses marie yay or nay apparently this is a conversation we have now in 2020 nay <laughs> really you're so not woke i mean if you're wearing a kilt that's different yeah okay. <laughs> but i, can, I, can I don't want to share my closet with you <laughs> yeah <laughs> So the reason why I ask for those of you who are very confused is that uh, earlier this week, Harry Styles, so I think he used to be in One Direction, I guess he's like solo now, I don't even know, I never found any of them good looking, so I don't know, um, but he was in Vogue magazine and he was wearing women's clothing, or I'm sorry, it's, it's sexist for me to say that, he was wearing dresses and, you know, this was seen by most people on social media as very stunning and very brave, but actually the controversy comes not from Harry Styles wearing the dress in this photo shoot, but from something Candace Owens said in response to it. She said, there is no society that can survive without strong men. The East knows this. In the West, the steady feminization of our men at the same time that Marxism is being taught to our children is not a coincidence. It is an outright attack. Bring back manly men. Apparently, this is like the worst thing anyone could ever say. And Candace Owens, she actually ended up trending on social media because she said this. And, you know, a lot of people were calling her a snowflake, saying, who cares if he wears a dress? Why does it bother you? Um, I don't think she's particularly bothered that Harry Styles specifically is wearing a dress. I think she's more commenting on how mascul masculinity is being demonized in our society. And to that, I, I don't think... 
I don't think you can in good faith say she's wrong, especially, I mean, it seems like the whole point of someone like Harry Styles wearing a dress is to subvert masculinity. So I, I don't, I don't even, I guess, I guess they're, they're, they're mad that she's saying society can't survive without strong men. Um, but even then, I, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with strong men, just like there's nothing wrong with strong women. I don't know, Marie, why are people mad? I don't know why people are mad. I think People are mad because she's going against what currently is considered a norm. Because if you go on TikTok or say Instagram, you know, some of the biggest male influencers right now, you know, they wear crop tops, but people are trying to frame it as, you know, Harry Styles is doing something so courageous and different when it's, no, it's kind of in the mainstream. I mean, right. you see H&M ads of men wearing more feminine clothes. And then what I thought was really strange was in the comments, people were comparing Harry Styles to Bowie. I mean, no, like, <laughs> no. <laughs> but at the time when Bowie was doing this, it was not the norm for men to be wearing dress or wear crop tops or more feminized clothing. That was really going a counterculture. They were going against the norms. So by that metric, you know, Harry Styles, if he's trying to do like a Bowie type of thing that the people in the comments were comparing him to, he should be very butch. He should be very manly and going against what the cultural norm right now is. Right. And that's what I thought was kind of ironic because people were standing up for Harry Styles like en masse, not, I think, realizing that, you know, in this situation, the person who is being counterculture is actually Candace Owens, right? She's the one who's calling out a major magazine and a huge celebrity and being, you know, getting so much backlash for her opinion that she's trending. Whereas like, you're exactly right. This isn't counterculture for Harry Styles to do. In fact, this is, you know, right smack dab in the middle of what pretty much everyone in mainstream media and in popular culture is trying to promote and wants to see, which like, I mean, you know, if Harry Styles wants to dress like that, I don't even think it looks good on him. Like, never mind gender norms it just it's not a nice dress but whatever um you know he can do that but acting as if it's some like big step like you said he's not freddie mercury he's not elton john it's not like he's someone who is breaking these barriers himself yeah and you know those individuals all were part of the gay community and he's not really part of the gay community so it was it's like, you know, they were part of this whole counterculture of the, you know, when it was not okay to be gay, when it was like not okay to, you know, dress and express yourself in those funky ways. And they weren't doing it necessarily because they liked wearing dresses where Harry Styles might. They were doing it to just piss people off. They were just trying to rebel and everyone freaked out back then. Yeah, and it's like now the tables have literally turned where people freak out if you don't think it's amazing and if you dare say something about masculinity. And I know like conservatives, the new punk rock is kind of a meme at this point, but this all just does remind me of, you know, the, uh, I think it, it was it Johnny Rotten or Sid Vicious, but one of the former members of The Clash, uh, he came out as a Trump supporter and so many people were giving him, you know, a, a ton of grief for it. But it's like, look, if you are part of a movement that is backed by academia, by pretty much every single bureaucrat, by like the mainstream media and mainstream pop culture like that's fine you don't have to change your views because they're popular but you don't get to simultaneously say that you are hashtag the resistance because it's like you're really not you're just not yeah i mean it's not courageous to do what everyone else is doing i mean we all know it's courageous to do what everyone else is not doing yeah which is exactly why uh gosh candace owens she uh you know she's uh, 
honestly, I think she's, she's got more balls than a lot of guys these days because she's willing to take all this flack and you stand, stand by her viewpoints, even if people think it's unpopular. But I think that's pretty much all we have for today. If people want to keep up to date with you, where is the best way to follow you and keep up with your articles? The best place to follow me is probably on Twitter and I'm at the Marie Oaks. And then everything else is on my Twitter. I post my articles pretty fairly, like all the time. You're always Um, working, it's like. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) so that's probably the best way to keep up with me. All right, awesome. And again, thank you so much for joining us and thank you everyone for tuning in. We really appreciate it and we'll see you next time. Bye.